This podcast is presented to you by Passion Church and their campus in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit www.mypassion.church. Look at Matthew We'll start there. We're going to conclude our series, of course, today. And we're going to be talking about the Jesus model. We're talking about, uh, you know, growing through discipleship. You know, uh, the Jesus model. You know, every year they come out with a new model of something, don't they? It's a new model. I mean, it, 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 you know, if you bought a, a, a 2017 brand new car last year, it's great. But the problem is when 2018 rolls around, what? They're rolling out a new model, aren't they? And they're always tweaking a little something or adding a little something or changing the design up a little and saying, man, you really need the newest model. But on a lot of those things, if we really look close, there's not that much difference, is there? Maybe one little extra bell or whistle. But, you know, the Jesus model we're going to look at, it's a model that doesn't need to be updated. It's a model that's just as applicable today as it was 2,000 years ago when he was walking the face of the earth and as we look at the model it's 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 very it's very simple and I found this out that most of the things that God gives to us to utilize and to duplicate it's simple it really is it may not always be easy to do because we got this stuff called the flesh but it's simple amen he keeps the complex stuff for himself and he gives us the simple stuff amen thank God you know, I remember uh, some years ago, almost, holy cow, I don't want to think about how long ago, but a long time ago, back in the 80s, I was a missionary to Bolivia back in 1984. And, you know, one of the things that, the, the, the primary thing that I was involved in was, was really training uh, young people. Of course, in those days, I was young myself. But training young people, uh, you know, for, for ministry that that felt the call of God upon their lives. Uh, they came from several different countries. We, we, are, we were headquartered there in La Paz, Bolivia, and we had a, you know, we had a four-story building there. Uh, and, and in it, we had uh, dorms, separate floors and dorms for the girls and the guys, and the classrooms were there, and everything you know, was right there. And so we, we taught them uh, in classes. We taught them one-on-one. Uh, we fellowshiped together. We ate meals together. I mean, it, it was. We really became like a family. And, you know, the, 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 the thing that we did there uh, as we came to be, and, you know, this was a thing at that time, I really didn't consciously put it together like I'm going to share it with you now. But, you know, sometimes, you know, even if we do things unconsciously led by the Spirit at times, if the Spirit of God's in it, it works, doesn't it? And then later on, sometimes after we've done it, God gives us some insight and some understanding. And so I was, you know, as a young man there, we were doing this, and I didn't realize the whole thing that I've been sharing with you. You know, we talked about relationship building. Remember that? We talked about fellowship, and we talked about discipleship. And really, that's what was happening, that in the context of us being there together, we were fellowshipping, we were sharing bread, we were... Uh, sharing the things of God, both one-on-one and in a group setting, and in a classroom setting. We were eating meals together. We were developing relationships as well. So all those dynamics were happening there. 
And then in the process of time, at least twice a year, we would take all the students out to different, divide them up into teams, and we would take them to different parts of the country there in, in Bolivia. And we would take them to minister. And the students, they did 95%, if not more, of all the teaching, preaching, praying, leading of worship. I mean, going house to house, praying for the sick. They, I mean, they did it all. And I just observed them. Well, I didn't realize that without knowing it, I was following a Jesus model. Because that's exactly the way Jesus did it. And, you know, here's what I learned just some observations quickly, and then we're going to read there in Matthew 9. I found out that discipleship is more effective within relationships. Did you know, now, this doesn't mean you need to stop coming, because Sunday morning has its place too. It does. But this is not the best forum for discipling. You say, don't say that, Pastor. You preach yourself out of a job. Well... Long as long as there, long as Jesus is alive and I have a call, I got a job somewhere. But it's not the best. This is not the best form for discipleship, okay? Because I found out it works best in relationships. This is one of the reasons, you know, we're talking about this that we're going to be launching our small groups later this year at the at the campus here in Montgomery. Well, we've got one or two already going, but we're going to be launching them on, a, on a, a, a full scale later this year. But I want you to understand the reason we're doing that is not because I went to a conference and I found out that small groups is where it's at. I haven't been to such a conference. Except a conference with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and, and Dr. V, maybe. That's the only conference we've been to. But, you know, I found out it happens, discipleship happens better in a relationship where we know one another. Where, where, where uh, you know, we can drop some of those, you know, barriers that we have on Sunday. You know, Sunday morning we come in and we've got, you know, our Sunday morning persona on. You know what I mean by that? We're all, we smile, we're happy. How's things going? Oh, great, brother. You know, even sometimes when we, we have prayer, you know, people, sometimes some people won't come down, you know, and admit they've got a need for prayer even. And I'm not being critical. It's just that sometimes... It's because of uh, the format and everything. People are not comfortable doing that. I understand that. But you know what? If you have a best friend or somebody that you have a relationship with and you trust them, you can open up to them and have them pray with you, can't you? That's what it's all about. Same thing about discipleship. Hearing the truth, I found out this. It's important to hear the truth. And on Sunday mornings, this is what you're doing. You're hearing the truth. You are. You're, you're hearing the truth. We're, we're teaching you from the Scriptures. We're teaching you what the Bible says. We're teaching you from, from our experience and from what the Scriptures say. But, you know, hearing the truth, that's the only part of it. Now, it's critical. It's important. You've got to hear the truth because if you don't hear the truth, you have nothing to work with. So hearing the truth was important. Doing the truth was critical. That's the reason we took them out. And I also found this in doing the truth, doing it imperfectly was better than not doing it at all. You know, sometimes in the church we set the bar so high. Maybe, we, maybe in our own minds, but maybe in a church culture too, we think, boy, if you're not, I mean, you know, you got to be, well, you might not be right where Jesus was, but you might not be much more than about one notch below where He was. 
and we might let you grieve. We, we, we set the bar so high sometimes. Listen, Jesus with his disciples, he, you know, we're going to see this in the model. He, he shared with them truth. They watched him do it. Then he said, you go out and do it. And they didn't do it perfect the first time. You remember the time he went up on the mountain? Of, called the Mount, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember he took Peter, James, and John up there? And you know, and, and, and they were doing something up there. But there were nine apostles, nine disciples down there at the foot of the mountain. Remember that story? And the man brought his son that needed deliverance. And here you had nine apostles of the Lamb. Glory to God. Now, if you, if you told me that you're going to have nine of the apostles of the Lamb pray for you, you're pretty sure you're going to get your need met. Come on, isn't that true? Come on now. But you know what? They didn't. I said they didn't. Because when Jesus came down with the other three, the man came to him. He said, I brought my son, you know, to be delivered to your, uh, your disciples. They couldn't do it. And I mean, these are the closest followers of Jesus Christ that there has ever been. Some of the closest. Wouldn't you agree? They were with Him day and night in the flesh. They, they slept with Him. They ate with Him. They walked down the roads with Him. I mean, they saw every miracle He did. They saw the, the blind eyes open, the deaf ears open. They saw lepers cleanse. They saw limbs grow out. They saw the dead raised. Holy cow. Excuse me for cussing. But they, I mean, you would think, boy. So here's the thing. I'm saying that not to be critical of them, but to let you see. See, we set the bar so high sometimes. Just, you know, we need to begin to do what we have heard. And even if you do it imperfectly, that's okay. Name me one thing the first time you did it. I don't care in the natural or spiritually, you did it perfectly. I know Dr. V as a pilot. I mean, you know, did you jump in a 747 the first day? <laughs> oh, I'm ready, man. I got this. Oh, man. I don't know if you've ever just been getting on one of those planes, you know, and you just have, they happen to have the cockpit open and you glance in there. I mean, man, there's more, there's more stuff in that cockpit. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have a it take. I mean, even they told me what to do. It would take me a week to find out where's the right one. Yeah, no, you don't do it that way, do you? Maybe the first time you pray for the sick, maybe it doesn't work out perfectly. You know what you do? Pray for the next one. Amen? Maybe the first time you witness somebody, maybe you don't have it down perfectly. Maybe you, you don't quote the Scripture verbatim. Maybe you don't get it all down just right. But you know what? You're out there doing it. Doing it imperfectly was better than not doing it at all. Matthew 9 Let's begin there with verse 35. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now notice why he's doing all this. These twelve are with him. Whenever you read Jesus doing these twelve are with him at this time. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the twelve disciples that were there, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. You know what? That's still a true statement today. 
there's a greater harvest than there are laborers. You know, one of the reasons Dr. V is going to Uganda, there's many reasons, but one of the reasons is, is that there's a great harvest, but they need what God's put in him in order to achieve the harvest. Are you listening? And you know what? Now, we talk about that, him going to Africa. But you know what? We who are here in Montgomery, Alabama, there's a harvest around us too. There's a great harvest around us too. Now, I know living in the Bible Belt, we think everybody's heard. Well, everybody may have heard, but not everybody responded to what they've heard. Amen? And we don't want to be satisfied, well, that, you know, they had their chance and I had mine. I'm going to tell you what. Now, I'm a big believer. I, you know I am. And the blessings of God and, and God giving us victory in this life and God, all the blessings of God, the promises of God, healing for our body and provision and peace and all that. I'm for all that. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm going to tell you, the bottom line is still this. Hell is hot and it's a long time in eternity. I know, you know. Somebody says, well, I don't think people ought to get saved just to miss hell. But, well, Jesus did. Isn't that right? Absolutely. He said, the harvest truly is plentiful. The labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. That's one of the things. Listen, church, if you want to know one of the things that every believer is called to, we're called to do this. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, amen, that he would send what? Laborers into the harvest field. We should be praying that every, every week, if not every day. Every week you should be praying that. You say, I don't know how to pray. Well, start right here. Pray for this. Pray for laborers. And I found this out, that many times when I start praying for laborers, I begin to be one of the first ones God sent into the field. Isn't that right? Say, God, send out laborers. He said, okay, son, go. Amen. And then in verse 10, he says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Then, you know, it lists the names of them and all. And then we skip down to verse 5. It said, Then the... Then uh, the twelve Jesus, these twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, "Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of Samaria, and so forth." And he told them, but he sent them out, and he sent them out what to basically preach. What were they going to preach? What they heard him preaching. I guarantee you, they did. Amen. Now. If any of you have been saved very long, if you listen to me very long, you're going to hear that, you know, what I'm teaching and what I'm preaching, you're going to, it's going to sound awful familiar to you. Because I didn't originate most of it. Are you listening to me? I learned it from other people that, you know, as I was growing up in the things of God, I heard them teach, I heard them preach, or something that they said pushed me to the Scriptures, and then, you know, I may have built on it, but, you know, what I preach and teach, I got from somebody else. I got a lot of it from the man sitting right back there. And then from other people. What did they teach and preach? What they heard Jesus teach and preach. I guarantee you they went out and what they heard Jesus I bet you they quoted the same scriptures he did. I bet you some people said, man, you know that Peter, he sounds just like Jesus. 
Have you ever heard somebody teaching you think, boy, they sound just like somebody that you've been, you know, they've been hanging around with all the time. Isn't that right? Maybe even use some of the same expressions. Well, that's what he did. He sent them out to do it. So the Jesus model is simply this. Hear, see, do. They heard the truth from Jesus. They saw his works. And then they were sent to do what they heard and saw. Now, if you've been saved any period of time, I'm talking about for several years, there's some things that you have heard. Are you listening? If you've been in this church, there are things that you've heard from Dr. V, from those others who, who have, have been in this pulpit, and now you're hearing them from me. But the things that you have heard, the things that you have saw, you've seen some things, haven't you? Then you know what? Go out and do that. Don't, don't wait. Oh, I'm waiting to get some new revelation. I'm waiting to get some deep truth. Listen, just go out and do what you've already heard what you've already been taught. Just go out and begin to do that. Begin to lay hands on the sick. Just begin to give people the Scriptures. Begin to tell people who Jesus is. Brag on Jesus. Just go out and do what you know to do. That's the model. Now, Jesus, <clears throat> He was a prototype. And He even told us, He said, those, you know, He said, what, what, what I've got, and even Jesus... Get this, even Jesus said this. He said, what I'm preaching to you, now I'm paraphrasing. He said, but what I'm preaching and teaching to you and what I'm doing, he said, he said, I got it from the Father. He said, the work, he said, I'm doing what the Father has shown me to do, the works that I'm doing. He said, I got it from the Father. The Father showed me and now I'm doing them. The Father spoke this to me and now I'm speaking his words to you. And now we're to take the, what? the words of Jesus that he spoke to his 12. And those 12, what, became 120, didn't they? And then that 120 became 3,120. And then it went on down and down. In other words, what? Jesus made disciples who made disciples who made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And it came right on down to us. Did you know, where's the church at Ephesus now? You ever read the letter to the Ephesians? One of my favorite epistles. I mean, I've been reading it for over 40 years, and I'm telling you still sometimes, man, I read that and I have to meditate on it. I think, oh, man. I mean, it's rich. It's full. I mean, that, that must have been a tremendous local church. Where is it today? Part of it's right here. See, God never intended a physical place to necessarily continue for two or three thousand years. That's not the church anyway. What Paul put into the Ephesian church, those people, they put into others who were disciples, who put into others who were disciples, and they went out to different places. They went out to Europe. They went out to different countries. They reached the next generation who we reach the next generation and then they came over uh, on these shores and brought the gospel here and we are listen we are the product of the Ephesian church in many ways and other churches too because what it's all about reproducing that's the longevity of the church it's not whether or not 
we meet here or on 6,000 Monticello or wherever the next place is or, or we go over to this place or that place. We get the idea that, man, uh, you know, if the building goes, we go. No. We are the living stones. We are the church of the living God. Amen. So the Jesus model was a prototype. He was a prototype. And he said he made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And it comes all the way down, all the way down through the generations to you and I. Now we are responsible, what? For making disciples. Amen. That's what we're called to do. Jesus said go in all the world, make disciples. He didn't say go in all the world and build big church buildings. He said, go in all the world and what? Make disciples. So here's the, the Jesus model. We hear, we see, we do. And other people what? They're going to hear what God has given to us. They're going to see what God does through us as we, we, we are out doing the Word, doing what God's called us to do. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to go and reproduce it. They're going to go and reproduce it. And I want to tell you something. Go, go start doing it. If you're not doing it, go start doing it. Go start teaching. Go start preaching. Go start laying hands on the sick. Go start doing the stuff that you know to do. doesn't matter if you do it imperfectly. God will help you. Amen? The way you get to do it, you, you're able to be uh, better at it, is you start doing it and you keep doing it. Amen? Remember the first time you rode, drove a car? Did anybody learn to drive with a clutch you're giving yourself away no. man I mean remember trying to find those gears <clears throat> you know and you know whoever's teaching you whether it was dad or somebody that giving you that look like you're going to tear the transmission out here boy it's in there somewhere and then oh man remember the first time you, you ever had to stop on a hill and take start off going uphill Oh, man, this, man, something's burning. <laughs> man, you're burning. You know, but now you do it, you don't even think about it. It's second nature to you, isn't it? Remember the first time you tried to parallel park? Woo-wee. You know, they open the door. You know, the instructor opens the door, and you're like three feet away from the curb. But you know what? You didn't just say, well, that's it. I knew it. I can't drive. I, it must not be God's will for me to drive a car. Because if it was, I'd have drove it perfect the first time. Nobody ever thought like that. But when it comes to spiritual things, that's the way we react sometimes. Well, you know, I shared with somebody, and man, they just told me to, you know, take a flying leap. So that's it. I'm not going to share nobody anymore. I'm not going to give my testimony. I'm not going to encourage anybody. You know, I prayed for somebody, and they died. I'm not going to try that no more. That stuff don't work. No, we, what? As we do it, God, get, you know, it, we grow spiritually. We grow in our understanding. We grow with our faith. You know, every time you pray for somebody, you're exercising a faith muscle. Every time you share the gospel with somebody, you're exercising a faith muscle. Every time you do what you have been taught and learned, and you've learned from God 
either from other people or by the Holy Spirit from the Scriptures, you're exercising your faith and it strengthens, it gets stronger. You, get, you gain insight, you gain understanding. And when you, you begin to do that, just like you drive a car now and you don't even think about it. Man, I can drive a car in New York City. Man, if you, at, at 16, when I first got my license, if you'd have put me in New York City, I mean, I'd probably passed out. I'd have been, holy cow. I mean, you know, I learned to drive in a little small town that had maybe 5,000 people. I mean, you know. And you're going to put me in a city of 10 million and tell me to drive there? But now I can drive New York City now. I don't stress me out. I've driven in large cities. I've driven overseas where, I mean, you talk about, <laughs> Dr. V, you know what I'm talking about. If you, any of you driven overseas, you know what I'm talking about too. I'm t- Woo! <laughs> Buddy, you have, to, you have to put on a whole other mindset there. <laughs> it's crazy. Here's see and do, the Jesus model. Now, you know, and so God's called us to what? Pass it on. We're to pass it on. Uh, Jesus said this. Let's look over there. I alluded to it, but John, look in John 8. We're talking about the Jesus model of discipleship. Listen, passing church. You know, we're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to do all those things. But listen, everything, 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 everything is about what? Passing on what we have been given. From the pastor all the way down. We are about passing on what we have been given. Because listen, at the end of the day, should Jesus tarry, that's what's going to perpetuate the church. The church is people. It's people. Say that with me. The church is people. It's not an organization. It's not a name on a door. It's not a particular building or a meeting place. We'd be the church if we met in the parking lot. We'd be the church if we met under a tree. We'd be the church if we met in our home. Now, we'd be a really close church. But we'd still be the church. That wouldn't change. We're still the blood-bought saints. We're still the church filled with the Spirit, the power, the mandate, the commission of God. We're still called to, to reach our generation, no matter where we meet. That's irrelevant. It really is irrelevant. Thank you for that, all that enthusiasm in that. I'm trying to. So, uh, when we look at 8.38, notice John, John's gospel. Jesus said this. He, speak, he says, I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've seen with your father. <laughs> He's talking to the Pharisees. But notice what he says here. I speak what I've seen with my Father. So even Jesus didn't claim to originate it, even though he was God. He was the Son of God. But he said, it didn't originate with me. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I mean, everything I know I learned from somebody else. Well, you're in good company. Jesus said that's where he learned it, in company with the Father. Isn't that right? The disciples, the, the original 12, they learned it by being in company with Jesus. Now, let's go on down. Let's see if we can see any other. Where, where Paul, even when Paul uh, was talking about it, look over in Philippians 4. Paul, and really, this was a Hebrew 
uh, way of discipling. It was, you know, even, even before the New Covenant, this is the way, uh, you know, that they would disciple one another. They would get, you know, they used to have, uh, you know, they would get in a, a, a small group or they would call it a school or something and they would have, uh, you know, a Hebrew uh, master there that would be the, you know, the master of the Scriptures and everything and very learned and, you know, and, and, you know, they would say, well, you know, I was in this school or I was in that school of thought, whether it was the Pharisees or the Sadducees or whatever sect it was. And notice what Paul says here in uh, Philippians 4, verse 9. He said, the things which you have learned. Now, he's writing to the church at Philippi. Where, where's the church at Philippi? You can go there now. You can see some ruins where they, the city was. But where's the church? Where's the church that met? As a matter of fact, they probably didn't even have a church building. They probably met in homes. It's where most of the churches met. They didn't have some big edifice. They met in homes. But where's the church at Philippi? Well, remnant of it's here. And others all that's called by the name of the Lord all over this city. Because what? It was because they were faithful to make disciples for the next generations that came down to us, that's the reason we heard the gospel. Now notice what Paul says. He said, the things which you have heard, you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Wow. He said, whatever, he said, whatever you've learned, whatever you've heard, received, whatever you've heard, and whatever you saw me do, he said, you do. So it looks like that even Paul, after the twelve... Paul's going out, he's preaching the gospel in, in new places that's never heard the gospel before, and he's getting a, a church established there, which is what? A group of people who believed him, believed the gospel. And he's getting them established, and he writes back to them, and he says, now, now he said, now that I'm no longer with you, I'm not there with, with you bodily, in bodily form, he said, here's what I want to remind you. Whatever you've learned from me, whatever you've heard from me, Whatever you've been taught from me and whatever you saw me do, he said, do that. That's what you need to do. Church is not complicated. Are you listening? Being a part of the church is not complicated. The things that we have been taught, the things that we have learned, we have heard from others, let's just go do them. And let's give them to other people. Let's just give them to other people. Share them with people. What do you know? And I want to tell you something. When you begin to do this, you know what you're going to find out? You know more than you thought you did. Are you listening? And you're also going to find out this, that even if you only think you, think you only know a little bit, that little bit is powerful. Are you listening? You know, you can share one scripture that can change somebody's eternal destiny. You, you could pray one prayer for somebody that could change their whole direction in life. Amen? Absolutely. But see, here's the thing. We have to decide, will I do it? Will I do it? Now, the Jesus model, really, of discipleship, it was not in a classroom. It was not even in an auditorium like this. Jesus, really, He taught and discipled what? By life events, in the midst of life events. In other words, in the midst of living life. 
That's where we disciple people. You know, when you find out a neighbor or, or a friend or a family member, who it might be, that maybe they're going through something, do you know that's your great, great opportunity right there to begin the discipleship process? Are you listening? They're in a life event. Maybe they're in a crisis. Maybe they're going through a difficult time. Maybe, maybe they open up to you just a little bit of whatever, but you get an intimation. Or maybe you just look at people's countenance. You know, if you'll just, you know, won't walk through life asleep or preoccupied, I, I've been there before. I'm not, I'm not being critical of anybody. I, you know, I, it's so easy to get just caught up in your stuff, isn't it? You know, your family and this and that and the other and work and uh uh you also caught up in your stuff that, you know, you're not aware, really aware of people around you the way you should be or could be. You know, you're waiting in line. And, you know, we're all on our phones rather than maybe just put that phone in your pocket and kind of look around at the other people that's in the line. Or maybe look at the, the sales clerk. Man, you can look at people's countenance if you're aware. and You can tell, you know, you know, maybe they're having a bad day or something. And you know, when I'm up there checking out with the, you know, with whoever's waiting on me, I look at it as that's my time with them. I'm not wasting their time. I'm not butting in. They're waiting on me. That's me and them. This is my opportunity that I can share something with them. I might just start off with a pleasantry. How are you doing? I just noticed you kind of, you kind of looking down. Is everything okay? You know, sometimes people, you know, we think people will think, well, you're being a busybody. I think a lot of people find out, you know, it's good to know that somebody's noticing that maybe everything's not just right with me. Maybe, maybe I'm a person worth caring about. You know, and if they just say, fine, then that's great. But, you know, you, you'll be surprised. You'll say, you know, is every, everything going okay with you today? Or you, you know, I just noticed you kind of, I thought maybe my, you might be going through a, tough time today or something like that you'd be surprised maybe not every time but a lot of times people will open up and you can just share a little something there while they're checking you out you're not you're not holding up other people you're not taking anybody's time up that's my time you know why because i'm giving them some money i'm buying some stuff from them isn't that right i go sit in the barber chair if i'm sitting in a barber chair guess what that's my time isn't it Life events as a classroom. That's what I'm getting at. See, now, <clears throat> Jesus went from town to town. Now, you're probably not walking from town to town with, a, with five or six people following you all day. That's why I'm using contemporary examples. Jesus went from town to town, but it was his, his classroom was life. It's life. That's where people, uh, uh, you know, are feeling the pressure at. Pe- people are dealing with financial problems. Marriage problems, relationship problems, uh, you know, employee, employer problems. Come on. All kind of problems. You know, what we want to do is we want to let them know, look, that, that the gospel in a relationship with Jesus is not just about a Sunday morning format like this. He is vitally concerned about them, what? Every day, in everyday life. Thank you for your enthusiasm. All right, real quickly, I gotta 
close up here. But life events is a classroom. Listen. An encounter with truth. That's what you're having right now. You're having an encounter with truth. That's where you're getting some knowledge. There's an encounter with truth. Well, an encounter with truth is good, but that doesn't change us. It's a starting place, but it doesn't change us. Amen? You know, uh, uh, Cindy and I have been, since the first of the year, we decided we should probably should take advantage of, uh, the, you know, of our fitness center and try to get fit a little bit. <laughs> so we've been going to work out. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, you, you know at, at the beginning, you know, when you, you first begin to be aware that maybe I need to get, drop a few pounds and get in shape a little bit, you know, and, man, you go and buy those nice tennis shoes and you get that workout outfit. You know what I'm talking about. Woo-hoo! Man, and you got your, got your stuff on, you know, in front of that mirror and everything. Man, this is great. See, you've encountered a truth. The truth is, I know I need to drop some weight or I need to get in just a little bit better condition. You've encountered a truth. But you know, when I turn sideways, I still have the same profile. <laughs> Ruh-roh. So you've encountered truth. Now see, you've become aware of something. That's good. But that's just a starting place, isn't it? You've encountered truth. But it hadn't changed you yet. You hadn't dropped one pound. You just got those nice tennis shoes on now, you know. Woohoo! Got my fitness stuff going. Got my Fitbit on, whatever. You know, you could just go all out. You've encountered truth. But the next thing is, is, you know, when we get up Monday morning, we said we're going to go down to the fitness center and we're going to work out, you know. And Monday morning comes. And, you know, you're used to your routine, that old routine. Man, I got up, I made the coffee. Oh, man, it's so much nice to just sit here with Cindy and drink my coffee and talk about our day that's coming up and all. But, you know, you said you were going <laughs> to go work out. So you have to actually get in the vehicle and drive over. you got to get over there, and you got to begin to what? Apply the truth. Man, you got to... You got to get on that treadmill or get on that stair climber or get on that bicycle or whatever it is you're doing and you got to work it. And I mean, oh man. You know, you get on that thing, you know, I'm going to put my five miles in. That all sounds good till you get up to about three and a half or four. Then, you know, your first thought is, well, you know, this might be enough. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? But see, it's the application of the truth because when we apply the truth, then that's knowledge that we're beginning to live and to begin to do. And it is as we apply the knowledge we've gained that there begins to be what? A transformation. You know, I started out, you know, I was at 178. And then I saw 177, 175, and 174, and now I'm down to 170. My target's 168. But see, as you do that, you know, as you gain, you gain momentum, don't you? You begin to say, hey, you know what? Something's happening here. Something's happening here. And it's the same thing with spiritual things. As a disciple, I mean, 
you know so much. Come on, church. How many of you have been saved five years? Ten years? Fifteen years? I'm going to say 20 and then I'm going to stop. Think how much you've learned. Think how much you've learned. How many messages have you got? How many times have you read the Scriptures? How many prayers have you prayed? How many special meetings have you been in? How many podcasts have you listened to? How many books have you read? How many articles have you read? You're a wealth. See, in our culture, we think it's all about gaining knowledge, gaining knowledge, gaining knowledge. And that's important, but we've stopped there. But just as important is what I do with it. And when you begin to do with it, that's when you begin to see fruit. That's not only in your life, but in other people's lives. And listen, that's where the joy of Christianity comes. I, see, I pray for somebody else, I see their life changed. Whatever area it may be in. I share a word with somebody else, I see them encouraged and going on. I see people pray to receive Jesus. I, I see things, transformation, and things begin to happen in people's lives. That's what it's about. We're talking about the Jesus model of discipleship. It's making disciples who make disciples. Hearing, seeing, doing. And then with other people, they hear and see and do what they saw in us. And we pass it on, and they pass it on, and they pass it on. You know, they say, you know, you ever seen a checkerboard? You've all seen a checkerboard, you know, what a, you know where you play checkers, you know, the black, red and black squares. I think there's 64 squares on there, I believe, if I remember right. But anyway, on a checkerboard, they said if, if you take and put one grain of corn, one kernel of corn on that first square, and you double it, double it, double it, double it every time, by the time you get to the last uh, square, there's not enough grains of, of corn on the planet to go there. It's called exponential. Exponential growth. So, if you make two disciples who make two disciples who make two disciples, you talk about growth, not only spiritually, but numerically. There'd be tremendous growth. Not because we had some great meeting and we had some fantastic speaker and we had 19 of the, uh, you know, of the nine gifts of the Spirit working. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Did you catch that? I'll just check and see if you're listening. <laughs> Nothing wrong with all that. I love that. Don't misunderstand me. And I've been in meetings like that. And I'm not, I'm not saying not that. But we think, we thought that that was going to do it. No, that, that's, just, that's just something that will be added and extra and, and will help. But it's about disciples making disciples. That's the key to the longevity and the growth and the influence of the church of Jesus Christ. What if we all made two, two disciples this year? Wow. Wouldn't that be something? What if we all just made one? See, I'm talking to you. See, right now you're thinking about going out and buying those tennis shoes. You get excited about it. Oh, man. That's something what Pastor talked about. If we'd all just make two, you know, I think I'm just going to make ten. No, let's start with two. Or maybe one. Amen? See, you're getting those tennis shoes. You're thinking about getting your workout outfit and you 
you know. But here's the thing. It's the follow-through. It's the follow-through. And see, really, I believe when we come together like this, it's for the purpose of encouraging ourselves for the rest of the week. Are you listening? When you're out there making disciples, when you're out there ministering to people, when you're out there sharing with people and praying for people, you get recharged up here. We encourage one another here. And then we go out there. But it's out there is where it's happening. Or it's not happening. All right, real quickly. Let me give you some conclusions because i got to stop. It's 12.01. Nobody's turned into a pumpkin. Give me five more minutes, okay? Discipleship happens best in a relational environment. This is the reason that we're going to be going to small groups because that's, that's a relational environment. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You know, you've got all of you out there, and you've got one person with one gift operating here. But if we meet in small groups, if we were in small groups, if you had five to eight people, then everyone would have an opportunity to utilize their gift, there would be relationships built. There would be opportunity to stop and say, wait, what you just said, I don't quite get that. What did you mean by this? And I dare say, I know it's the truth with me, if, if somebody else is ministering and I'm out there, there are things that are said, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will speak to me about something that they spoke. Isn't that true? If you were in a small group, so you can't do that here, but in a small group, you could share that, and then we're, we're, we're even richer. We're even, we even got more, because, you know, there's no one person that's got a corner on the truth. Lord knows I don't. Disciples need to, to not only hear, but to see and do the truth in order to be transformed. In a small group, that's a great place to do that. You can learn how to pray. You know, I learned how to pray in a small group. I said, okay, here's how I'm going to learn how to pray. I'm going to get in Rockefeller Center, and I'm going to pray. No. <laughs> I'm going to pray with a small group. Maybe You may just be with one or two people. You learn how to pray. Get with somebody who knows how to pray. That's how you learn how to pray. I tell people, you know, learning to pray is like learning to ride a bicycle. It happens when you do it a lot. Isn't that right? The more I ride the bicycle, the better I got at it. Doing it imperfectly is better than not doing it at all. Listen to me. Start where you are. Oh, but I don't, I can't, man, if I could, boy, if I could preach like Dr. Vickers, or if I could pray like Brother Bruce, or if I could do, you know, we all, listen. God don't need you to preach like Dr. Vickers. He's got Dr. Vickers. I used to tell students all the time, you know, of course, Brother Grant, Dr. Graham's gone on to be with the Lord now, but I said, don't try to be Billy Graham. You're never out Billy, Billy Graham. You're never out Hagen, Kenneth Hagen. Just be who you are. Use what God's given you. You'll be amazed. You really will that God can use you. He will use what you know because the truth you know, truth is truth. Amen? Do you know a $100 bill doesn't care who, who owns it or who spends it? He don't care if you're white, black, Asian. He don't care. Native American. A $100 bill don't care who you are. It'll buy just as much for you as it will for me. You think $100 goes further for me? 
Does it? No. Well, why would you think truth would work better for me than it will for you? It's the currency of the kingdom. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. God will hear your prayer just as quick, quick as He'll hear my prayer. God will use you, your hands just as quick as He'll use my hands. A hundred dollars is a hundred dollars. God's no respecter of persons. God's truth is no respecter of persons. It'll work for you just as quick as it'll work for me. Some of y'all looks like the light just came on. How to live the truth we hear and encounter it is the result we're aiming for. How to live the truth we encounter is the aim. Because that's what... Remember, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees... Man, you talk about knowing the Scriptures. Holy cow. They could quote the first five books of what we call our Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They could quote it verbatim. They could write it out verbatim. And that that had nothing to do with the myriad of extra uh, biblical writings that had been added to it in the Torah and everything. I mean, all that stuff. Been, I mean, they were. that's why they were called lawyers. They were experts at the law. They weren't talking about judicial laws. talking about the law in the Pentateuch. They, they knew every, where every jot, where every little thing went. I mean, they were perfectionists. They had it down. The problem was they didn't do any of it. They weren't transformed by any of it. So the bottom line is, Hear, see, and do. Hear, see, and do. Hear, see, and do. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For more information about Passion Church, visit www.mypassion.church.